Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. I'm going to back up just a little bit, go back to some slides that we saw last weekend, and do a, do a refresher and remind you that most, well, 99.9% of my experience, the concepts with service work comes from my 20 years in the service structure of Alcoholics Anonymous. I am sober in SA six years and will be celebrating 30 years in AA next month. And so, so for the last 20 some odd years, I've been involved in the service structure of Alcoholics Anonymous and have worked down the ladder, down the triangle. And last rotation, the 2017-2018 years, I was the area delegate for Area 40, which is the state of Montana, uh, to the General Service Conference. And currently serving as the Area 40 advisor, which is kind of a, a mandatory role after having served the area as delegate. And I've been doing concept workshops, traditions, GSR workshops, that type of thing, for, for some time now. And I just really relish the opportunity to give back to the Recovery Fellowship, whether it is AA or SA, in any way that I can. So uh, grateful to, to be here and be with you all. So a lot of the information that I'll be sharing, uh, you'll be able to find in the item on the left of your screen there, which is the 12 Concepts Illustrated pamphlet that uh, Alcoholics Anonymous puts out. And then, the, of course, the uh, essays and the long form and short form of the 12 concepts in the AA service manual. Uh, you will also find those, of course, in the essay service manual. And they are revised to ref- uh, how they apply to the essay fellowship. And essentially, the major changes that take place in the essay concepts, 12 concepts, are just the name of the fellowship and the name of uh, different service entities. Instead of the conference, general service conference, we have the general delegate assembly. So these are two pieces of literature that will help you to begin to get your head around the concepts a little bit. I will try to provide a bit of a crash course on this, utilizing my understanding and and my personal experience uh, as, as best I can for you. Okay, so I'm going to jump right back in on, and again, just a refresher on what we covered last weekend, which was basically just concepts one and two. And one and two, it was really important to do one and two together because they essentially establish a, a primary relationship in the service structure, no matter what level you're at, where you have a, a body who provides the authority and the responsibility for those trusted service that it sends to the next level of the service structure. Ultimately, it all boils down to the groups being the ultimate authority for SA World Services, and that's what 
in essence, what concept one says, final responsibility and ultimate authority for SA World Services should always reside in the collective conscience of our fellowship. With these slides, again, what I'll do is I'll note some of the principles that are at work in any given concept, and I emphasize the word some because there are so many. These are the ones that just upon a brief period of reflection, I put down in the light blue box there in the center of the screen. There are many more, and I certainly welcome if anybody in the course of the presentation would like to comment on other principles that they feel are pertinent to a particular concept, please uh, do let me know. And it's by no means what I call myself. I'm by no means an expert. I wouldn't call myself an expert at all. I do have some experience with it, with the concepts. I've looked at them. I've tried to deconstruct them, and I've tried to revise them, and I've certainly argued their merits from, from various angles and have spent a lot of time with them. So I, I do love them. But I don't know that there are any 12 concepts experts out there simply because there's always someone you talk to that has a perspective that you haven't heard before. You're constantly learning. So it's a constant learning process with the concept and with service work. Uh, what you see at the bottom of the screen is, in the case of concept one, essentially the same wording as what you see at the top of the screen. On some of these, I have done a short revision just to give an example of how the principles that you see in the blue square might reflect across the service structure. Uh, in other words, the concepts focus quite frequently on the relationship between the General Delegate Assembly and the trustees, but the principles that are being utilized in, in that relationship are also utilized in service relationships across the service structure. In other words, the home group and the GSR in many ways parallel the relationship between the general delegate assembly and the trustees as far as delegated ultimate authority and delegated authority. And, and those are the two principal elements of concept one, ultimate authority, and concept two, delegated authority. So what I'm going to do is move forward here real quick. After each concept, I'll have a list of questions. These come primarily from the concepts checklist, which is another piece of uh, literature that you can get from aa.org or the, the General Service Office of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I've revised a couple of the questions in spots to, I think, address some of the principles, certainly some of the questions to reflect how they might apply to the uh, Sexaholics Anonymous Fellowship as well. So those are the questions that we looked at in Concepts 1. This is Concept 2, the leadership of SCA as represented by the General Delegate Assembly and the Board of Trustees has become for nearly every practical purpose, the active voice and effective conscience of our whole society and world affairs. And if you look down, well, there's the principles, trust, delegation of authority, and communication. And if you look down below that, this is the first revision that I've done in hopes that it helps someone who is new to the concepts to understand how these principles might apply to their particular service position or their relationship with 
the body that elected them, or if they're in that body, their relationship with the trusted servant that they elected. And, and so that says our trusted servants at all levels of the SA service structure have become for nearly every practical purpose the active voice and effective conscience of our fellowship. So in other words, what's that, what that's saying is that we are electing people to serve us, and the way that they serve us is that they become our active voice and effective conscience. And in other words, we have trusted servants who will help us to carry the message through our arms of service, through literature committees, through public information committees, through correction committees, that type of thing. They are our active voice. And then also when it comes to deciding matters of policy and procedure uh, in our fellowship, it is their voice or their vote that will make those decisions for us as, as the ultimate authority, for us as a whole. The idea of trying to have every single member of SA vote on any given issue that comes before the General Delegate Assembly is, is rather absurd. So what we do is we delegate authority through our GSRs, through our intergroup reps, and then through our delegates to make those decisions for us at, at all respective levels of the service structure. So that's what Concept 2 is about. And, and so you, we've established that relationship between the ultimate authority and the delegated authority. Uh, the delegated authority is called by a lot of different names. It'll be called the immediate authority, which is utilized a lot in the essays 12 concepts. It's also the delegated responsibility. And when I use those terms, just basically listen for the word delegated, because that will indicate that I'm referring to a trusted servant at some level in the service structure. And of course, ultimate authority refers back through the service structure to each electing body ultimately resting with the groups of SA, the fellowship as a whole. So there's that relationship between the uh, uh, ultimate authority and the, and the delegated authority. We've established that in concepts one and two. The rest of the concepts deal with how that relationship works and what needs to be in place for that relationship to work effectively for the fellowship. And it's kind of, in essence, it's how that relationship will work. Bill likes to call the concepts, or like to call the concepts, the why of the service structure. And I I've kind of understand where he was coming from with that, in that the service structure is in place because we need to, we need to uh, make sure that the uh, the fellowship remains in the control of the fellowship remains in the hands of the fellowship. Uh, I understand that as as being the why, but to me the the concepts speak more to the how. How do we accomplish that? And so when we get into the remainder of these concepts we'll find the answers to that. So we'll move forward into those. Here's the uh, questions for concept two that we brushed through. And what we'll do is we'll jump right into concept three here. So uh, what we're looking at here now is we're coming up on three, a set of three 
concepts that are really uh, near and dear to my heart. They were essentially how I was first introduced to the concepts. Concept four primarily, and I'll get to that story here in a bit, but it was through my introduction to concept four that I was uh, subsequently introduced to concept three. I'll tell you that story here in, in just a bit, but uh, we'll, we'll keep them in order and we'll deal with concept three. These are These three concepts deal with the rights of trusted servants, and, and I... Rights is, is a very legalistic term, but I would say the trying to think of another term that might might be a little more user friendly. I I don't know if, if if one word would cover it, but these are these are avenues of communication that are open to our trusted servants to ensure that they have an adequate voice at whatever level they serve. And we'll start in with concept three. And, and this is the only one of the three that I've done a, a revision on. But uh, the short form concept three is currently written. And uh, please forgive me, I didn't have a chance to go through and change the AA acronym to SA, so or the General Service Board to the Board of Trustees here. But essentially, it is uh, it's their parallel entities in SA. So, to ensure effective leadership, we should endow each element of AA, the conference, the general service board, and its service corporations, staffs, committees, and executives with a traditional right of decision. How that would read for SA is to ensure effective leadership, we should endow each element of SA, the general delegate assembly, the board of trustees, and its service corporations, staffs, committees, and executives with a traditional right of decision. And in both cases, the principles involved are trust, responsibility, and communication. Again, there may be more involved, and I would say there certainly are. Those are the three main ones that speak to me when I read this concept and when I reflect on how it works within the service structure. The suggested revision or another way to consider this concept to, in light of how it might apply to service positions at any level of the service structure is simply this. To ensure effective leadership, we should endow all our trusted servants with a traditional right of decision. Now, the right of decision is very similar to another concept that we'll discuss in a couple weekends, concept 10, and that deals with the right of authority. And I think I've got, if I, if I, Yes, here's, here's concept 10, and I just want to read this to kind of give you an, an opportunity to see the difference and to absorb the difference. So concept 10 reads that every service responsibility should be matched by an equal service authority with the scope of such authority well-defined. And the long form I have here, because I think that it speaks pretty clearly to what the difference is and how it applies. Every service responsibility should be matched by an equal service authority. The scope of such authority to be always well-defined. What I just read, it goes on, however, to say that whether by tradition, by resolution, by specific job description, or by appropriate charters and bylaws. So see if I can go back to concept three. Here's the reason the right of decision and the right of authority are similar and why they sometimes will get confused. 
and it involves a story. An agenda item back when I was the area chair for Montana and the alternate delegate, we were at a regional service conference, and there was an item on the agenda that dealt with providing the so so essay has the its journal essay e s s a y which Luke is the editor of and it is essay's version of the grapevine which is aa's journal aa also produces a spanish um, journal i was going to say a spanish version of the grapevine but it's not it's its own separate journal a, a spanish journal entitled lavinia and it has its own editor and this item that came before the conference had to do with allowing the Lavinia editor the right to select the cover for the journal without having to go through any other protocol, any other, any other approval, without having to seek out any approval from staff or from the grapevine editor or anyone else in the service structure. Basically, it was saying that, that he should be able to make that decision on his own. And the item mistakenly noted that this was his right under concept three, the right of decision. It wasn't. The right of decision is it's a voice that's given to our trusted servants to allow them to use their own judgment in matters where they do not have the opportunity to refer back to their electing bodies or to any other level of the fellowship. In other words, they're asked to make a decision on the spot, in a pinch, in the moment, and use nothing but their own sound, best sound judgment to make that decision. The right of authority in concept 10, if you recall, it says in the, the letters in red, whether by tradition, by resolution, these decisions are made whether by tradition, by resolution, by specific job description or appropriate charters and bylaws. So this agenda item that was proposing to allow the great uh, or the Lavinia editor to make this decision as part of his job, it's a, it's a monthly decision. Whenever the Lavinia came out, he could make this decision on the cover of the Lavinia journal was basically part of his, was an amendment to part of his job description. So it had more to do with concept 10 than it did with concept three, if that makes sense. The concept three is, and here's, here's a picture that I like to show that kind of burns it into my memory. And it's, we have to, sometimes we have to make decisions on the fly as, it, as we're in action, as we're moving. And we don't have that opportunity to, to reach back and, and say, okay, group, what should I do here? We've got to react. We've got to make a, a snap decision. And it has to be okay. We have to have that right to do that as trusted servants because we come up against points in our service where, where that's required. Trying to think of, I, I know that um, when I was delegate, I served on the public information committee, the conference public information committee. And before I left for the conference, um, we had a series of 
agenda items dealing with social media. And the fellowship in Montana is it's it's a very enthusiastic fellowship in AA and but they're a little reluctant to adopt new technology. And I'm as guilty as anyone when we first began to talk about getting a uh, a website, an area website, I was very hesitant to do so because I didn't know that much about the internet. My best event is usually practicing contempt prior to investigation. I didn't know much about it, but I did have an opinion. And I voiced it when I said, I don't think that we should be doing this because there's risks for anonymity breaks once you get on the internet. Well, as it turns out, we had a, an excellent trusted servant who was willing to be our webmaster, and he stepped up and he, he showed us in no uncertain terms how our security would be protected. And so we voted that website in. But getting back to the social media issue at the General Service Conference, I, um, I'm a firm believer that we need to now, that we need to continue to learn how to embrace technology. I don't have it with me, but Bill gave a great quote back in the 60s about how we need to learn to better deal with technology, with mass communication. And so there are platforms that will serve us well as a fellowship, but then there are platforms that won't. Uh, for instance, I don't think Twitter is a good platform for AA to be on, just simply because of the exposure to public controversy. I think we just set ourselves up for public controversy issues when we do that. But one of them that I do embrace is LinkedIn, which is, I think, a great way of providing information to professionals that Alcoholics Anonymous and possibly Essay comes in contact with who have clients that might be looking for answers that we might be able to provide. There's no issue with public controversy there, and the platform, the contracts for the platform are such that if we decide to leave, we can take our whole kit and caboodle and just get up and leave. Others don't provide us that. Facebook, and, and there, there are some issues with Google. But at any rate, going too long into the story here, my area felt that we shouldn't go with LinkedIn. They were a bit concerned about just getting on any social media platform. And once we got to the conference, once I got to the conference, and I sat down with the committee, and, and we had what are called uh, appointed committee members, people who are knowledgeable in the field, who are in the program, who are volunteering their services to come and, and share some of their expertise with those of us serving in the conference. They explained to us that LinkedIn had these safeguards in place and that there, there really was no risk of us putting AA in a precarious position. Once I was armed with that new information, it would have been nice if I could have called up my area, the entirety of the fellowship in Montana, and said, hey, we've got this new information. How do you want me to vote? But I couldn't do that. I was sitting there in the committee meeting. The information had been provided. We discussed it as a committee, and then we went to a vote. So just like that little squirrel on the skateboard, I was kind of launched out into the stratosphere, and I had to make a decision that ultimately went against what my area had informed me. They went against the stance that my area told me that they wanted to be taken. So, Nathan, this goes back to that question that you asked at the end of last weekend about 
this particular kind of situation. So I was armed with that new information. I voted in opposition to what my area, group conscience of my area, indicated that they felt. And I felt perfectly fine with it because I felt that LinkedIn, it was proven to me that LinkedIn would be a safe enough platform for us to venture out onto. So I have that right of decision granted to me through concept three. Now, as I mentioned to Nathan last weekend, with rights come the, the flip side of the coin on rights is responsibility. So I'll, I certainly had every right to vote opposite of the way that my area felt about on this issue. And I did. But so along with that comes the responsibility now of going back to my area and telling them that I did, that I voted contrary to their, their vote. And I also had the responsibility to inform them why, which I did. I shared with them the information and that the fact that after hearing that information, I felt that it was okay to go ahead and go on to that platform. Now, there were some in our area that still felt, even with that information, that, that we shouldn't have done that. And they have every right to feel that way. But they cannot, they could, and some of them addressed it with me. And they, I don't, I don't think anybody got too adamant or, or you know, too, too out of sorts over it. But they, they, they told me in no uncertain terms that they, they still didn't feel that any social media platform was a place for, for us to be as a fellowship. And so I took that under advisement. But I still, to this day, feel that I was absolutely right and through concept three to make that change in my vote on that particular item. So that hopefully gives you some idea of what concept three allows us to do as trusted servants. It gives us that we are not rubber stamps. And it's important to remember there was a, a past trustee for Alcoholics Anonymous from the West Central region came out of Wyoming, Carl B. And he wrote a, a short little essay entitled Servants, Not Senators. And in the body of that essay, he, he discusses a very common misconception that a lot of trusted servants have when they first get into service work. And that is they feel like they represent their home group. They represent the whatever particular intergroup they come from or the region that they come from, that they represent that voice and they have to make sure that that voice gets heard and that body, whether it's a home group, intergroup, or region, gets what's coming to them, much like a senator would if they went to Congress. But that's not the case. As trusted servants, we serve SA as a whole. That is our primary purpose is... I shouldn't say primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to carry the message to the still-suffering sexaholic. But in service work, we serve SA as a whole. We don't represent any small portion of it. Because once we start doing that, we start dividing ourselves up against each other. And this region wants to get something that this region doesn't want them to get or wants to keep to themselves. And, and not that would necessarily happen. But the, the potential for that happening is, is taken away 
if, as trusted servants, we are able to keep in mind that we serve SA as a whole. Basically, we come together to serve that primary purpose of carrying the message to the still-suffering sexaholic. That's what we're all about. And it's not about getting my home group theirs or my region theirs or making sure that, you know, our voice speaks loudest of all. That's not the case. We're looking to be of use to God and our fellows, and that's what we do when we get into service work. And that's what, that's what I was taught to do. So concept three helps us to start down that path of understanding why that perspective is important, that we serve essay as a whole. And in either one of those two stories that I told you where, the, for instance, the one with the LinkedIn agenda item, I wasn't looking at it from the perspective of what's best for Area 40 in this. I was trying my best to look at it from the perspective of how can we best carry the message, get the message of recovery out there to those who are seeking it. And once I was given that information that LinkedIn was a safe platform to do that, the, the voice of my area became secondary to the need to carry that message in the most effective way. And that's why I moved in that direction with my vote on it. So there is a big difference between a being a trusted servant and a rubber stamp for your home group, for your region, for the inner group. We are not so much their voice at a conference or at inner group or at the assembly. We are not so much their voice as we are their contribution to that process. And that's what I, how I always introduced myself when I would do my delegate reports around the area is I would say I'm very honored to be your contribution to the 67th or 68th General Service Conference of Alcoholics Anonymous. I identified myself to them as being their contribution to that process rather than I represent you when I go there. Um, because, again, it's about us accomplishing that our primary purpose of carrying the message of recovery more so than making sure Montana got theirs or that Montana's voice was the loudest or prevailed. So that's the right of decision. Each trusted servant is provided that, and it's important that they be given that right by the fellowship that puts them in that position because that tells them right off the bat that they are, in fact, trusted to make the right decision when the time comes on any given situation. That embodies the term trusted and trusted servants. As you make the, your decision as best as your experience allows you to. The Area 40 Fellowship, for the most part, those who have been around for a while, understand that pretty well. They know that when they elect a delegate, that delegate is going to go and do the best job that they can for AA as a whole, for trying to carry the message of recovery. And they will listen and consider to the fullest extent they can the voice of the fellowship of Area 40. But when it comes to decision time, they will use their judgment 
and we're fully comfortable with our delegates doing that. And so, again, I mean, that parallels right along the line with SA as well. So, so that's concept three. And we'll, again, we'll most definitely address that. I have a note here about your ref- referendum question is what I'm going to call it. And we'll, we'll get back to that. And I'll ask you to restate it, if you will, when we get to the end of the presentation. I mean, we'll move into concept four, which is, no. oh, let's look at the questions for concept three. I always forget these. Do we understand what is meant by the right of decision? Do we grant it to all levels of service or do we instruct? And that's that rubber stamp thing. If, if we send people with instructions, they become rubber stamps. If we send them to serve, use their best judgment, we're sending trusted servants. Do we trust our trusted servants, CSR? And again, DCM area delegate, the conference, basically parallel with GSR, intergroup rep, uh, regional delegate, and general delegate assembly. So those are questions to consider as you consider um, concept three. So concept four reads the short form. At all responsible levels, we ought to maintain the traditional right of participation, allowing a voting representation in reasonable portion to the responsibility that each must discharge. And, uh, and again, the principles there are communication, trust, and participation. And the suggested revision, uh, there is no suggested revision on this one because this is one of those that I, I think speaks broadly enough in its construction to uh, all levels of, and, and right off the bat, it says at all responsible levels, rather than specifying a particular level, like some of the other concepts do. So this is one that I think is very, very well written just as it is, and is really a very important concept and set of principles that we need to be cognizant of and do our best to honor, really, when we consider our trusted servants across the service structure. This one goes back to concept 10 as well, because there's it, here there's a, it establishes, establishes a balance between responsibility and authority. Again, just like concept 10 is, it talks about the right of authority. It, concept four addresses, provides a balance between the duties of service that each trusted servant shoulders and how much say they have in those duties about, you know, I feel that we should be allowed to go this far with the duties. We should uh, have this much say, not so much about the, the duties either, but about the, the services provided. For instance, if we have someone who serves on, say, the corrections committee, and there are some issues with trying to get into a particular facility, and we need to adhere to the, the rules and regulations of that facility as the facility sees them. And we need to adjust our stance just a bit, not in a way that's not in violation with our traditions, but allows us to better access to that facility. It should be the right of those individuals to to have a say in that, whether or not that's going to happen. I'll give you an example here in just a bit. 
basically what this concept does is it gives those people who are in the trenches a voice. Yeah, the right of participation is therefore a corrective of ultimate authority because it mitigates its harshness or misuse by giving a voice to those who participate more directly in service affairs. This comes out of the service manual. That, that statement comes out of the service manual. Oftentimes, the ultimate authority, whatever body elected a trusted servant, will attempt to move in a direction, and the members of that body don't have all the information that they need in order to make that decision. And it's very important that those people who serve in the tr trenches in that particular area have that voice to be able to persuade, inform the ultimate authority about the reality of what's going on. The story that I have here involves my uh, home district in Helena, Montana. And what had happened was that the participation at the district level had dwindled. The groups just weren't sending GSRs. They weren't sending representatives to the district. And consequently, the, the service positions were not getting filled. We have various committees that serve at the district level, much like in SA, corrections, literature, cooperation with professional communities, treatment committees, the grapevine, that type of thing. Well, it just so happened that there was one group in the district who was very enthusiastic, quite large, and they always sent, they always made sure that they had a representative from their group to serve on one of those committees in a committee member capacity. Well, once the remainder of the district stopped sending people to the uh, district meeting, that meant that there were fewer and few, fewer people to stand for those chairperson positions for those committees. So the enthusiastic group told their members, well, if nobody stands, go ahead and stand for that position. So they did. And consequently, what happened is that one group wound up having their members assume the chair positions on several of the committees. I think uh, at least a half a dozen of the committees. So all the other groups in the district took notice of that. And they said, hey, this group is trying to take over district. And it wasn't necessarily that they were trying to take over district. They were just filling a vacuum that was created by the absence of the other groups. They felt that if nobody else is going to stand, our members will gladly stand and will serve. Well, so when that happened, the other groups, of course, got fearful. And the active group, the enthusiastic group, wasn't really trying to take over district. They just felt that it was important that we have trusted servants in place to make sure that these arms of service continue to reach out in the different ways that, that our service structure does. And that's all they were trying to do. But the other groups, because the one group had assumed all the positions, got fearful. And rather than the service manual, the AA service manual tells us, if you don't like your trusted servants that you've elected to these positions, elect new ones, bring new ones in. And essentially what they would have had to do is to wait two years, which is the term of rotation in SA. And when the elections came, make sure that they've got members of their own group standing for the chairs of these positions. 
rather than do that, what they opted to do was something a little more quick, something a little more drastic, and that was to remove the voting rights of all the chairs of the committees, the committee chairs at district, the standing committee chairs, had all their voting rights taken away, which is in direct opposition to what concept four is about. If you have a position where you have the responsibility to serve in a certain capacity and the authority to make these decisions in that capacity, you should also have an equal voice to speak to how those decisions are made about that service position and about the body that you're serving in. Responsibility is matched by the right of participation. If you have a lot of uh, responsibility, in other words, these people who were serving in these chair positions effectively had their finger on the pulse of service work in our district. They knew what was going on because they were there day in, day out, throughout every week, contacting the agencies and institutions that AA reaches out to and, and cooperates with in order to carry the message. They knew what was going on in, in every capacity of service, but because the groups were fearful, they took away their right to say anything about how that service was rendered. They, they, the, the, the best way I could describe it was they didn't like the direction that things were going in, so they shot themselves in the foot, is what this amounts to. They started to deconstruct the principles of the program in order to assuage their fear, in order to, to feel safe. And again, Bill gave a very clear remedy to the situation in the essay on Concept 4 and, and throughout the rest of the concepts. If you don't like what your trusted servants are doing, uh, Concept 9, maybe another one, if you don't like what they're doing, elect new representatives, elect new trusted servants but continue to endow them with the right of participation, the right of decision, the upcoming right of appeal, all of those rights. When you serve in a position, you should be given the opportunity to voice yourself in certain ways. And what the district fellowship said was, no, you can service, but you can't speak. And who wants to serve in that capacity? And so consequently, we began to suffer from a lack of people who were interested in service from that group, and it continued from the rest of the district. And this went on for a number of years where the standing committee members did not have a voice. The right of participation was not honored in District 61. It took about 20 years. And finally, I actually brought it up as an agenda item one time to allow the standing committee chairs to have a vote at the district level. And we came close. We came within one vote, but it got shot down again. And finally, a young guy I sponsored who went to his first district meeting came back, and I hadn't talked to him about it at all, but he made that observation to me. Well, these people who are the standing committee chairs aren't allowed to vote. Is that right? I said, yeah, that's right. And he thought that they should. So I said, well, you know, that's been an issue. Um, it's been brought up before. If you really are interested in saying something about it, why not present an agenda item to the district? And so he did. 
And so it was about his fourth or fifth district meeting, the item finally came to a vote and it passed from this person who was completely new to service, had gone at the time of the vote, had gone to like five district meetings and the item passed. And so now the standing committee chairs at district do have a vote. And there's a lot of people, myself included, who feel a sense of comfort about that because what it boils down to is a lot of these standing committee chairs, not only do they have their finger on the pulse of how things are going in each committee, the corrections committee, the literature committee, treatment committee, but they've also got a couple, at least a couple years of experience in the service structure behind them to draw on when they raise their hand for a vote. A lot of times we have GSRs who don't have any experience, who their home group kind of puts into the GSR position thinking, well, it'll be good for them. And they know nothing about any of the history of Alcoholics Anonymous, nothing about Robert's Rules of Order, nothing about any of the particular issues that they're voting on, but they're voting. And not that they're, they're bad people or they're going to, you know, they're going to screw things up horribly or anything like that, but it's just, it's an informed group conscience is always better than an uninformed group conscience. And so the, as much information as you can draw on when it comes time to make a decision on any item, on any issue, the better for the fellowship. So ultimately, there was a great quote that I had heard that AA operates at the speed of trust. Sometimes it takes a long time for us to rebuild trust. In this case, it took 20 years. But we have to ultimately, in service work, get to that place where we become willing to trust those people that we put in these positions to serve our fellowship and to help us to carry the message to those who still suffer. Trust is essential for us to learn, not only in recovery, but in how we go about our service work as well. So there's my little friend exercising his right of participation, making his vote. And that's something that we ought to endow all our trusted servants with at the appropriate levels. We'll move. Oh, here's the, here's the questions for concept four. And they come out again out of the concepts checklist. Do we understand spiritual principles underlying the right of participation? Trust is a big one. Communication is another one. And participation is a big one. We all want to belong. We all want to feel like we are making a contribution in some way, that we're heard. Those are all very powerful spiritual principles because that feeds into the principle of unity as well. If we're part of and we're helping people thrive, we're doing something right. And, and if we're denied that right of participation, we aren't a part of, we're, we're missing that unity, that sense of unity. So what does in reasonable portion mean? Do we understand when it is appropriate for SA paid staff to have a vote at the uh, General Delegate Assembly? SA has, and, and this is my best understanding, if I recall, and that was one of the first things I checked into in talking with my sponsor, Steve, was SA staff do have a vote at the General Service 
at the General Delegate Assembly, certain members of the staff. Do we expect that because we are SA members, we should be allowed to vote at any group, even if we are not active members of that group? That's an important one. If you remember, I said that we, we all have a vote at the appropriate levels. And this last question raises a very important question. A lot of people think that, well, I'll have two or three different home groups and I'll vote in each one. But we uh, essentially, we have one voice, one vote, and just like any democracy, and we, we utilize it in one place. And we go to all the meetings that we want to, but when it comes time to exercising our votes, we do it in one place as a home group member. If we are a trusted servant and we move into a service position, we're granted the right of participation as it relates to that position as well at the appropriate place. In other words, if I become a district standing committee chair, I have a vote in my home group and I have a vote at district with regard to district functions. So that's concept four. We'll move on to concept five. Looks like we're going to take the full hour and a half here, which is great. So concept five, throughout our structure, a traditional right of appeal ought to prevail so that minority opinion will be heard and personal grievances receive careful consideration. Principles involved here are courage. Sometimes it's, it's very scary to raise your hand and say, after the entire body votes a certain way, to say, I disagree and here's why. It takes a little bit of courage. It takes some humility to ultimately, especially if you're on the winning side, to, to say, well, there's another person that has a voice, and I need to listen to that as well, and that's and which, of course, also brings in the principle of communication. So, again, no suggested rewrite on this one because it starts off very clearly throughout our structure. So this concept applies to the entire structure, all levels of the service structure, and as such, there's no need to, I don't think, do any revision on how this one is written at all. So the right of appeal, it's commonly called minority opinion, and it's voiced. The fact of the matter is, is that we can come together as any decision-making body and get worked up to a point and swayed by frothy emotional appeal by someone who is very persuasive who doesn't have all the information but has a lot of emotion and a lot of charisma and they can sway an entire body to move in one direction and then have someone who has some actual experience or a clearer understanding or just a quieter heart who is able to sit with the issue and look at it more realistically and say, wait a minute, let's pause. I see things differently. And it's so, so important that we listen to that minority opinion, to that little still voice that says, there's another way to look at this. So the right of, it's called the right of appeal, right of petition, or minority opinion. It acts as another corrective of the ultimate authority. So just because we have the ultimate authority as a home group, as the intergroup sending off our intergroup rep, or as the region sending off our delegate, oftentimes we will get it wrong. So hopefully you can see how all three of these rights will start to work together with regard to the decision-making process that we as trusted servants 
are invited into and that we have to participate in. Just because the group says this is so doesn't make it so. It's our responsibility as trusted servants to step into the next arena, to the next level of the service structure, bring our experience with us, also bring the understanding of our informed group conscience of the body that elected us, bring that with us. But we have to bring all these things into consideration when it comes time for us to make the decision. Our electing body can't make that decision. It's up to us as trusted servants to take everything under consideration, to weigh everything, and to know that we have these rights, this right of decision, this right of participation, and this right of appeal. Be able to say, you know, this is the way I see it. Drawing on my best judgment, this is how I see it. And a quote from the AA service manual that says, the well-heard minority, therefore, is our chief protection against an uninformed, misinformed, hasty, or angry majority. And this is, well, <laughs> I have a bad habit of saying this is my favorite concept because they're all, I really do like them all. These three, this group of three, are probably my favorite group because they are so interrelated and they, they are so necessary for trusted servants to understand and to utilize in the process of carrying out their duties. What this particular concept, the right of appeal, minority opinion, right of petition, helps us with is it helps us avoid what's called the tyranny of the majority. In other words, we'll step back a little bit. So I had described how one person can sway a body to act and make a decision one way or the other. That can be called the tyranny of the minority, where somebody with a real loud, real strong, real per persuasive, charismatic voice can sway a crowd. If they've got a big enough megaphone, they can sway a crowd. And once that crowd is swayed, they become like a big snowball rolling downhill. There's just nothing that's going to stop this process. What is so unique and so special about this minority opinion, this right of appeal, is that there is a way to stop that. If the snowball recognizes the importance of that small voice, and AA and SA do. Throughout the essay on Concept 5, Bill refers to that in several ways. He, he talks about this special deference that the fellowship takes with regard to the minority opinion. He says that people who see things differently should be encouraged to file a minority report. I've seen some people new to service who, when they first start to get their head around the idea of somebody having a minority opinion, they groan. Because usually what ha has happened prior to that minority opinion <laughs> is given, there's been a whole lot of discussion that has gone on for what seems like forever. And then there's been a voting process that takes place after that that seems like that goes on forever. And then there's, after the, a decision is finally made, somebody comes to the mic, and we do this after every major decision, is when a decision is made, the chair will ask, is there anyone 
on the losing side of this issue has a minority opinion, please go to the mic. And you'll, a lot of times you'll hear those who are new in the audience just groan because here we are where we just made this decision, but now we've got to listen to this minority opinion and actually listen to it and consider it and decide whether or not we want to change our vote. And Lord knows there's going to be somebody that's going to want to change their vote. And then we're going to have to, and, and then if the, you get another one, then we're going to have to go back and we're going to have to revisit the whole issue again and go through yada, yada, yada. But that's how we do things. That's the importance of minority opinion. That's the level of attention that we give that still small voice in our fellowship who just might, despite the whole bunch of us saying, yes, this is the right way to go, that small, still voice who might be right in saying, let's wait, let's reconsider, let's consider this from another perspective. I've seen it happen so many times in service work where just exactly that has happened. And I used to be one of those that just groaned. And my butt was tired. I, uh, in fact, that happened at the general service conference. We were coming down to the end of the conference, and I was ready to go home. I'd been sitting in that chair all week long, and I wanted to go home. And we were on our last item, and we got to this place where the decision was made, minority opinion was given, and people wanted to reconsider. And my shoulders sunk a little bit. But by that time, I knew the importance of listening to that voice. And it just so happened that that voice, in that case, as it has done many, many times, provided a perspective that up to that point hadn't been considered, and the entire body reconsidered it and decided to go in the complete opposite direction. They took a 180 and went the other way with it. And, and that's the importance of that one still small voice. So that if you're feeling like that squirrel on the screen there, kind of like you're just about ready to get run over by a Mack truck, know that you're not alone. There have been many, many other people who have stepped forward with the courage of their convictions and stood in front of a large group of people and said, I think you're all wrong, and this is why. And it takes a lot of faith in your higher power, in how your understanding of the guiding principles of this program, of your understanding of what's right about how we carry the message to this, those who are still suffering to be willing to step forward and, and make that statement that that little squirrel was taking. But the, the cool thing is, is that this fellowship respects that. Another quote that Bill has in the essay is, we have gone to great lengths in our trust of minority groups and minority opinions. And so this is probably the only place where I've seen that much deference given to that still small voice. It's a very spiritual act by the person who speaks up and by the body that listens. So here's the concepts checklist for concept five. Do we encourage a minority opinion, the right of appeal to be heard at our home group, intergroup meetings, assemblies, and the general uh, delegate assembly? What does our group accept as substantial unanimity? Substantial unanimity is that, for those of you who are 
new to service, substantial unanimity is a decision-making process whereby we do not agree to move forward on an issue unless we have two-thirds of the voting body vote in favor of moving forward. Essentially what that means is that we want to be very sure that we are making the right decision, a sound decision, and we, we want to avoid creating any, any fissures or any division within our fellowship by making a decision, an important decision, based on a simple majority of 50.5% or something like that. Because what happens when we do that is we essentially have half the people for it and half the people against it. So substantial unanimity means that we want to make sure that we've got plenty of support for an agenda item to pass. And it's something I didn't get into too much in Concept 5 here, but we are getting a little close to time, so I don't want to spend too much time on it. I do encourage you to check into that, though, in, in your reading, uh, especially if you have an AA service manual with, with the concepts in there. There's a great discussion on substantial unanimity, not only in the concepts, but uh, in the service material as well. Has our group experienced the tyranny of majority or the tyranny of minority? That's a very important question to ask, because a lot of groups will have that one loud voice that, that everybody has to listen to, whether it be a elder statesman or a believing deacon, someone who has sound spiritual principles or somebody that just wants to be heard and be the boss. Does our group understand the importance of all points of view being heard before a vote is taken? And that's something that's very critical. A lot of times you don't need, you won't need to listen to minority opinion if that opinion is provided in the initial discussion of an agenda item or an issue. But sometimes it just doesn't happen that it gets mentioned or presented. And we just, as far as the minority opinion goes, we want to make sure that we provide every avenue of approach for dissenting opinions when we make our decisions, just to make sure that we, that we hear everyone on an item. So those are concepts three through five. For me, they're just, they're so important. They're actually fun. Some are sicker than others, and I guess I'm one of those real sick ones that just, when I get into this stuff, I just, I go elbow deep in a hurry. And, but they're so important to our fellowship and to our decision-making process. And to be able to understand them and to employ them in that process is just so essential to, to making that prudent decision that we're often asked to make in the fellowship. So next week, we will start into concepts six through eight. And I guarantee you there will be some, we, if you look at them over the course of this week, they're the ones that really sound like they're a legal part of a legal document. Rest assured that there are some very basic principles at work in them, and that's what we'll be doing next week is to try to ferret out those principles and to look at them from another perspective and see how they apply, again, to all levels of the service structure in hopes that that will help you to be able to grasp those principles a little more soundly and use them to guide you in your service work. So. With that, we'll move on to questions. 
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.